At Delta, we know Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie. So we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The year, 2022. And it's all quiet on the Western Front. All you can hear is the way of water, which takes us to the Banshees of Inisherin, where Elvis is performing everything, everywhere, all at once for a small audience of the Fablemans, who are stuck in tar. But it's okay, because they'll be rescued by Top Gun's Maverick, and he will take them out of the tar into a triangle of sadness and deliver them to a bunch of women talking. The Oscars. everyone and welcome to unspooled 2022 in review that was perfect we nailed it (laughs) uh welcome to unspooled where we normally unspool the greatest films of all time but we're doing something a little bit different this week uh i am paul Shear. you might know me as being um a pickleball semi-finalist and a Wheel of Fortune champion, but I also love movies of all kind, and I'm always joined by my amazing co-host, Amy Nicholson. Hello, I'm Amy Nicholson. I am a film critic who writes for the New York Times. I'm currently a a mere 702 on chess.com. If anybody wants to beat me in chess, you're welcome. You can find me. And you were playing against a Luka Doncic robot? Oh, yeah. Chess.com creates these like AIs who get smarter the more they play other humans. And so like you start playing Luca.ai or Luke.ai. Is it based on Luca Donchik? Sometimes he might say things like, I will dunk on your opening moves. Are you being serious? Yes. What? Yeah. Yeah. They have so (laughs) many good AIs and they're always talking trash to you. Like currently I'm playing Clippy the paperclip a lot. And every time I beat Clippy, he's like, congratulations, you beat a paperclip. In the most sarcastic tone. Wow, I didn't even know about this world. I'm just hanging out on chat, GPI, making it write funny things about my friends. I didn't know I could be learning real stuff. Oh, yeah. Like Luca AI, when I started playing him, he was a 1,280-something. Yeah. So he beat me, but it wasn't that bad. And then now he's like up to, he was at 28,000 last night. So that he's just like uber, uber grandmaster level. All right, this is totally not for the show, but I have to go down this path. Isn't there... That AI that became so good at that game, I feel like it's like um, the game Mon- of chess. No, like Moncala, or like it's a, it's been around for a very, very long time, and basically this AI learned every, every possible move and played the champion of this this uh, game. 
but he made a move that no one in the history of the game had made because it got so smart and forced the actual player to retire. So, I mean, yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is like, you're getting into some dangerous stuff here. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to talk chess scandals, there's a whole thing right now where they say that there's a guy who's been using uh, AI during his matches with humans to tell him a better move to play. And that's just been a whole, I mean, the New York Times has been covering this. But we're, we are a movie show, not a chess show. The game I was talking about is Go. Yes, so that is it. it, uh, Except for this guy, it meant stop. Well, I'll tell you this much. Rick Rubin, in his amazing book, uh, talks about the brilliance of AI, that it throws out all the rules. Instead of following what humans have done before it, it created its own rules. So AI is better than us. Let's stop the show right now. Let's get AI to do it. So, Amy, we are doing something that I look forward to every single year, which is talk about the year in movies, and we kind of center it around the Academy Awards because we are saluting the best in film, supposedly, at the Academy Awards. Uh, But sometimes they get it right, sometimes they get it wrong. And this year we're going to go through everything, really the the most popular films, the most awarded films, and also put our money where our mouth is. Yeah, I want to do some hardcore bets with you this year. I like that. I like it a lot. Um, But let me ask you this. Are the movies back? I mean, that is the big, that's the big question. We heard Steven Spielberg grab Tom Cruise at the Academy Award luncheon that you were at. That where I probably got COVID. Where you probably got COVID. (laughs) Telling Tom Cruise. The fanciest, most worth it COVID. (laughs) Telling Tom Cruise, you brought back movie going. You saved movies ass. Like he said it, it was this moment where, I mean, I'm sure AI was used to break down exactly what was said because part of it was obscured in a hug. But there's this thought that this is the year that could have broken film, right? It could have just continued along the way that we had been going. And I think the biggest story of the year, regardless of anything award-wise, is Maverick, right? Top Gun Maverick literally brought everyone back to the theater. Yeah, every time I meet a human being who hasn't seen Top Gun Maverick, I feel like they must be AI. Because how would you have not seen this movie? Everybody went to see this movie. And everybody, I think, in Hollywood, I hope, I hope is feeling the tiniest little glimmer of optimism. Because I am. I'm feeling so optimistic about the future of movies. Maybe not the future of seeing movies in movie theaters. Right. But I feel like... I have never looked at the landscape of movies that might be to come, not even any movie in particular, just the tone of what is lying ahead of us. And it seems so exciting. Like just yesterday, I was talking to this guy about how he, everywhere he goes, he hears teenagers talking about Skinamarink. You know, that yeah. like really crazy horror, horror film with the Legos that I found sort of tedious and boring. But he was saying everywhere he goes, he hears all these teenagers being like, I love that movie. I didn't even know a movie could look like that. And now I want to make movies. And that kind of stuff just fills me with like tingles of excitement. Well, I think last year I started to feel like movies could be a lot more because you don't have to open a movie anymore. You could be on streaming. And that's something that really benefits a movie like Coda. Like Coda coming out on Apple TV allowed people to probably find that movie that would have never found that movie five years ago. And because it's platformed in a way that you have to watch it, you probably are exposed to more indie films, more interesting films. Not to say that every film should be released that way, but you get a much wider selection of films available to you if you want them. And depending on how much money these streamers paid for those movies, 
they will make sure that it gets in front of your face better than any advertisement or any movie theater can. By the way, I want to say congratulations on being the first person to say the name Coda in like 11 months since it won the Oscars. <laughs> well, this is the argument. This is the argument. <laughs> Absolutely of like, disappeared. Yeah. But I think we're in a better place than that. I think whoever wins this year, we're not going to forget. I know. I hadn't thought about Coda in a year. But what you are starting to see are those people who became famous last year, their second movies are coming out now. And I feel like last year, the Oscars and the best pictures were very much like Hallmark movies, Lifetime movies on a grander scale. This year, they're a lot weirder. I also think they're reacting to being trapped inside for the last three years. There's a, there's an energy of these are our pandemic films. Like these are our angrier, more artier pandemic films. And they don't all fit in that category. Obviously, Top Gun Maverick, was made before the pandemic and Tom Cruise sat on it. And just because I know you're a Tom Cruise fan, was he right? Was he right to sit on it? I mean, I, I guess the answer is yes. I don't I don't think anyone thinks he was wrong. Well, <clears throat> A, you have me picturing Tom Cruise sitting on a stack of 35 millimeter film and his legs not touching the ground, but him being like, "Wee! <laughs> it'll be great when this comes out. Thank you for that. I appreciate that image. Uh, yeah, I do think he was right. And I really want this year to mean... Everything for that man. A man who I have still never spoken to, never will in my life. Really? Oh, yeah. You wrote a book on him and you were a feet away from him and you didn't even say hi? No, I don't want to. I like the Tom Cruise that I have assembled from all of Tom Cruise's past interviews and from studying his work. I, I think if I ever shook his hand, something would deflate. I met Tom Cruise. It was the best experience of my life. I'm not going to get into <laughs> Shelley Miscavige, but I will say this. Uh, I do believe that he took the mantle of bringing back film very seriously this year because it wasn't just Top Gun. It was these viral videos that came out promoting and getting people psyched for the new Mission Impossible films. It's these trailers. Like, he did more work to get people excited about the scope of film. And I think he is this year's film MVP. Like, regardless of anything, I do believe, and I'll make an argument for it later on in the show, that's why Top Gun... Maverick should be the best picture of the year only because never in the history of cinema has one film carried all film on its back, right? Like it really did. It really got people to a place where they felt it was safe and they got excited about it. And if that got them to go to a second movie, like he was the gateway drug to film coming back. So I feel like everybody should be thankful to him for leading that charge. I mean, what I hope is that this year for him, him getting to be at this Oscar nominee luncheon, which, mm -hmm. by the way, I should point out, Tom Cruise hasn't been invited to that Oscar nominee luncheon since... Magnolia? Magnolia. Wow. So it has been since the year 2000 that that wow. man has been there. 23 years have gone by. And it makes sense when you think about it because, like, he walked into there. Like, I thought I got to the luncheon pretty early because I was mm -hmm. going to scope it out and see the landscape. Yeah. That man was already inside. He had made it to the entry stairway where you start to go from, like, where the bar is to where the tables are. He never made it outside of this range of the stairs for the entire luncheon until they made everybody take their seats because everybody just wanted to come up to him, talk to him, hug him. He was, like, holding court. Like, you couldn't actually – He was like, if I was a fireman, I would have said Tom Cruise had to move because you couldn't get anywhere <laughs> in the luncheon because he was just there. Wherever he was, everybody was around him. Everybody wanted to talk to him. It was the center of the party. And I'm so happy for him because to me, the tragedy of Tom Cruise since 2005 has been this like gap in his world between like, 
I used to like chase Oscars. I used to be that guy. I used to be like carrying heavy cinema on my back. I wasn't the franchise guy too. Now I am in the blockbuster world. I will embrace this. And with Top Gun, he's gotten to bring these two worlds together. I'm at the Oscars with the blockbuster hit of the year. And I just hope this like reconciles something with him that, you know, this man can't go to a therapist. It's against like the rules of Scientology. So I hope this moment is his healing therapy. Well, it's interesting because he did what no one thought he could do. One, which is, I think, show everybody how to do a sequel and reboot. And I said this on the podcast when we talked about Top Gun Maverick. Tom Cruise did the most amazing thing. He passed the torch of Top Gun to himself. And that was a feat that we've never seen. We've seen everybody else pass it to a younger generation. He's like, you know what? I still do it better than all of you. And you all are pretty good. He held it out to Miles Teller and he was like, psych. Psych. And he's like, Glenn Powell, (laughs) almost, maybe. But he's like, if the right person will grab the baton from me. Now, you know who I think should be going to therapy and probably is going to on some level is James Cameron because Avatar 2 comes out the most awaited film. This movie where, you know, he has put people underwater for minutes on end. And, you know, you've heard these stories out of. You know, Australia, was Vin Diesel going to be in it? Was he not? No. We now know that to be false. uh, And that was all a lie told by Vin Diesel. But I love him for it. Um, But Avatar 2, I think, was jockeying to be, well, now we're all going to talk about this. And I have to say, as a fan of James Cameron, I'm not anti-Cameron. I like the first Avatar. We talked about the first Avatar. I don't think that that movie made as big of a dent as people wanted it to. Like, we read a lot of headlines about how much money it made, but culturally, it did what I thought it was going to do. Be fine, but I don't feel like it culturally was as relevant as a lot of the movies we're going to talk about here today. I think the new Avatar had one moment of cultural relevance that I will will treasure for the rest Mm -hmm. of my life. Which is that last weekend at the creative poodle grooming competition, the number one poodle was an avatar dog. And it had, you know, the Navi on one side and like the the poodle hair was turned into braids and it was dangling. It had plants all over its body. It had like the monster tiger yeah. thing on, on the other half of the poodle. And the best part was like the front paw, the front left paw. It was one of those plants that when you touch it, it folds up. And she actually had put threads into the poodle's fur so what? you could open and close the poodle leg. And to me, wow. that is so all that I needed created, from Avatar 2. We're done. God bless. It, onward to Avatar 3. If that's all we have to talk about about Avatar today, I'm thrilled. Uh, I'm going to tell you something else I'm not going to talk about today on the show because we, we're talking about Oscars. And I know I get on my high horse a lot about why are there best pictures that are nominated but not the directors? Shouldn't that just be one category? And instead of just venting about that again— I did some research and let me tell you what I found. No one knows why. It basically seems like a like an old artifact of the system of Hollywood where producers were a lot more independent of the creators and then it kind of stayed that way and then they opened up the best film category to 10 but no one touched the directors and then they did this tiered voting system for the be- it's a mess. I did a lot of reading about it and it does. There's no good answer. And if anyone has a good answer, let us know. But I will now officially I'm putting that under the avatar and saying I will not talk about that. I will not bring it up. I think that producers, directors, everything is tied together. And someone said something that was really interesting, which I loved. 
Every award that a film gets is the director's award because the director was the person who sat in sound editing, the person who sat in special effects, the person who picked out or chose with the costume designer or the costumes. And I and that started to make me feel a lot better about it. Like so you can have a pride in all those awards because you put together this team. You were a part of putting together that team. I do like that. I think that really especially like extends to the acting categories even too. Yeah. Yeah, all of it. That is beautiful. Yeah, somebody said something that was really I think it was David Ehrlich who said the only person that knows a film has good editing is the person who shot it, the director, and the actual editor. Like, because you don't know what they had to deal with, what they didn't have, how they put it together. And I and that started to really make me understand that what we're doing here and what we're talking about here is these are pats on the back. These are friends, you know, certain categories of friends reaching out and being, oh, this person deserves that. And maybe it's not always fair. Maybe it's just... Uh, it's glad handing. It's you know, it's like, hey, I, I like this person, and and there, and, and certainly, it's a little bit of a popularity contest. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get off my high horse about what is the best and and all that sort of stuff. Although I will put my money, like I said, on the line or my or parts of the show on the line later on when I bet you about movies that are gonna win here at the actual Oscars. <laughs> so I will throw the same gauntlet to you. Is there anything that you will, we will agree not to talk about for the rest of the show? Y- yes. Okay. Yes. I will agree to put my grievances against the outsized footprint that superhero and Marvel films in particular have had on our culture. I love this. Because, honestly, uh, the second weekend of Ant-Man just got trounced by a movie called Cocaine Bear. So I sort of feel like now I'm kicking an underdog. I, I there think you they go. have lost their relevance. A bear-sized footprint is now over them. And I will stand by my my concurrent, continual opinion. Which is if you're a 15-year-old trying to figure out what to see at the movies, Marvel movies are your dad shit. Marvel movies are your wow, uncle shit. They're wow. not your stuff. And Skinamarink is what feels new. So thank you, 15-year-olds of the world. I really have faith in you to make and the right decisions. I'm going to go back and say this. I won't even respond to that because I want to agree that we will not dig into the Marvel <laughs> uh, to the ditch again. spread the word. When you get a fresh hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But I want to talk about these bigger movies. Like, what are the movies that stood out to you? Because I was thinking about this year and thinking about, like, what I loved about this year. And and take away, we'll get into more Oscar films later, but top grossing films. And the movies that I was thinking about a lot, Barbarian was a movie that I feel like took a lot of people by surprise. It's super fun. It's very kind of, well, it's not simple. It's just a fun horror movie. It has elements that 
felt different. I think we've been living in a world of A24 horror, which I love and is very different than traditional horror. Barbarian, I really felt like brought the fun back to horror, made it weird, made it funny. Megan did that as well, right? Like there were these- Megan was wonderful. I loved it. I loved it so much. And and it made me excited to go to the theater. Then there's like a movie like Plane that doesn't do giant blockbuster business, but Gerard Butler, kicking ass. It's fun. It's already got a sequel. These kind of movies, even like the massive weight of talent with Nick Cage, like there was a sense of fun coming back. Owen Gleiberman wrote this article that I really hate the title of, but I love the passion behind it. He's like, can mediocre films save cinema? And I think that the better title is, have we forgotten about popcorn films? Have we forgotten about just going to the movies for fun? And I think there has been an element of that. Like, Everything has to feel more elevated and twisty and turning. We've talked about this on the show. I feel like this is the year that, you know, we get a movie with Julia Roberts and George Clooney that is just kind of delightful. And I loved it. And I'm all. You did? I'm all in. I'm like, but I'm expecting nothing more than what it was. Here's what I'll say. More George Clooney, more Julia Roberts. I didn't care about those kids. But like, I mean, there was something just nice about it. And and not to say like, I don't want to be challenged, but there is this energy that I have when I watch movies where I'm like, oh, I just want comfort food. I want to, like, I want to sit back, relax. I'm not trying to make it the best. Just, it was fun. It was fine. I mean, I feel like what we are heading towards right now, and, mm-hmm. and it fills me with such delight, is we're heading towards the resurrection of B pictures that do okay. Right. right? And yes. that being a savior thing. Cheap like, B yeah, pictures. Exactly. Because in the 60s, that was our drive-in movies, right? right? Like our Russ Mayers and our cool stuff. And it was a really exciting time, I imagine, to be alive. You know, me as a negative fetus somewhere inside my young teenage mother didn't get to experience it. But like I can imagine how much fun it must have been. And I feel like, yeah, you're right. Streaming is our drive-in. Streaming is where you're going to go see like some sort of cheap, like cheapy toss-off picture. That has like an interesting one-sentence pitch. Why not? A bear is on cocaine? Sure. And that is so exciting. I feel like one of the things the films you're describing all have in common, except for maybe the Julia Roberts one, is that when you say them in one sentence, they sound like something you haven't seen. Yes. And that's what we're hungry for. Because honestly, there's been a sameness to so much of our blockbusters. Same characters, even. Same thing. Same world in crisis. Who cares? But we also go back and go, oh, why don't they make a movie like this anymore? Like, you know, in the reconnaissance, you know, people go like, oh, you know, actually, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is great. You know, and it's like, oh, I'm going to go back and watch it. Well, just make a new version of that. Like, and I do feel like you're right. Like, there are these really fun new movies like Cocaine Bear. But then there are also these movies like Prey, which is a Predator prequel, which was Fucking great. I love Prey. Like, I love Prey. It was fun. It was like, and I almost feel like that movie suffered a little bit from not being in the theater because it would have been a great theater experience. It looked so beautiful small. I can't imagine how beautiful it would have looked big. I love that. And then also you have a movie like Glass Onion, which I know was in theaters for a couple days, but that's a movie that actually really divided people. And I want to talk about that too. Like in these B films, there's more of an argument about I liked it or I hated it. And people, and I almost feel like the hate is as equal as, like, it, you can go either way. Like, it became fun to talk about in a way. Like, Glass Onion, I felt like I had more conversations about Glass Onion. And people were very much like, it was the worst thing I saw. We are like, I actually really liked it. Like, And I feel like sometimes when a movie is too good or too polished, you can't have that debate. When it's too focus group to death. Yes. Right? Because then it's like everything is sort of buffed and smooth. Yeah. And there's nothing even to hold on to. You know, except for, like, 
griping about like, was that misogynist or problematic or blah, 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 you know, like and yeah. I'm kind of even getting tired of just sort of like that conversation. I think I want my films to be messy again. I want them to make me angry. Like I think yeah. that's, I find some hope in something like Tar being a film that this many people watched and talked about and also thought was worth kind of tearing apart. Like that's a really divisive film. And I like that it made me feel uncomfortable and mad. I love Tar and I think that that performance is really interesting. And the fact that it kind of got through in a year where there are movies that didn't get through, like White Noise felt like, oh, I love Noah Baumbach. And I think that movie is fun and weird. And it's, you know, it's a book that is really highly unfilmable. And they did something really interesting with it. But it didn't, it just didn't kind of No, clap. I was so sad it didn't because I adored White Noise. Yeah. Did I tell you my weird story about when I went to see White Noise? I can't remember. No, I don't know. For some reason, when I went to go see it at Netflix, they had it as an influencer screening. Not for me. Oh, wow. But they had it like I invited. Right. They had invited teenage influencer girls to go to the Netflix office to also see White Noise. And I could not figure out why. And I still actually have no idea why they're all there. But they're like in thigh high boots and like really there to see White Noise. And they were talking in the back about, like, how they felt the most unfilmable place in L.A. was in Erewhon. And it was fascinating. And the only thing I can think of is, like, they were there because maybe they do influencer stuff in grocery stores. And so much of White Noise is set in grocery yeah. stores. Weird. That's all I could think of. But, like, White Noise made me really happy. And to me, one of the sadder things of the year is that nobody else, like, I feel like saw White Noise except for you and me because— I love the grocery store scenes. I loved what a strange, weird little prickly movie it was. I didn't like the last third very much. No, but when it, it became yeah. like a a caper, a rescue mission. But it was so strange, so funny. The dialogue was crazy. The alternate world, it was marvelous. Well, I think this goes back to a larger conversation about Noah Baumbach and his career. And I feel like for him to do that movie is really interesting. In a year where we're going to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once, but in a weird in a weird year where that movie is really getting a lot of attention, that White Noise is doing weird stuff like that too, being very different. And I, I just felt like if you're a fan of Noah Baumbach, it's exciting to see him take such a like a weird turn. Yeah. I remember I auditioned for that movie and I was like, I didn't have the whole script, obviously. I had just like a little scene and my scene isn't even in the movie. So I don't even know what I auditioned for. But I was like, what is this? And this is so bizarre because my impression of what he makes was not that side or the sides that I had. And I, that made me excited. And then seeing the movie, I was like, whoa. Um, but I did, I did like that. And I, and I feel like, and I feel like white noise is one of those movies where it hears where I'm going to like say something that absolutely maybe nobody cares about but me. Mm -hmm. I'm sad. It wasn't nominated for production design. Yeah. I loved the production design on that movie. I love their houses and all the clutter in it. I loved how perfectly 80s that movie felt. It really did. When they were in the grocery store and they went to the generic aisle. Oh my God. I love that. It was that was like my Prostian's grocery aisle from when I was a little kid. Isn't that what uh, Ralph's yeah. was? Or no, we had a, there's an LA supermarket that just had all their generic brands that were white boxes and just said it was in Repo Man. We were talking. It was about in it. Repo yes. Man. We were talking about it. Yeah, the grocery store when I was a little kid, the HEB in San Antonio, Texas, had an aisle like that, and it was. I always thought about about it as like. Alice in Wonderland, suddenly you go, but in reverse, yeah. suddenly you go from Oz back into Kansas. You know, I, I think that talking about what makes a best picture is really interesting because, you know, in, in years past, you and I, I think, would argue about films that 
it didn't feel like they covered everything. And this year, to your point, this list of 10 movies, I'll read them out and we can kind of go through them, but All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. That's a great list. Like, that's a solid list of movies that don't feel the same, that are very different. There are some, like, very Oscar picks on there. All Quiet on the Western Front is a movie that also I've heard no one talk about. But, of course, it's on that list. Of course, it's, you know, it's a war movie. We love these movies, or Hollywood loves these movies. It's a war movie, so of course it's going to be on the list. But it's a good war movie. It's actually really beautiful. It's it, it's stunning. But it's an odd choice. I always find it to be odd when we have this list of 10. It doesn't have to be 10, but it can go up to 10. And that one feels like, I almost feel, again, not I said I'm not going to get down this list, but it's interesting when a movie that you don't hear much about is on this list of 10. And I don't know what that is, like what pulls that up, if that's this good campaigning. Or not. And we had a big debate this year, a big argument over campaigning this year. Like, did, you know, can one or two people sway who gets nominated? Yeah, All Quiet on the Western Front really shocked me, too, because the thing that I always use as a barometer for what are we talking about is how much of a push it gives in, like, my awards groups in, like, Nationals or L.A. Zero. All Quiet did not push it at all. I don't even think we got a screener of it. You know, same thing with Two Leslie. Right. And so, like, it didn't make any of our chatter about, like— foreign language film, definitely not like a best picture. Like it wasn't there at all. It sort of just, I don't know, apparated on the horizon like a like a poison gas cloud. It's like, oh, okay. I didn't even know there was a movie that came out. Like it, yeah. it had no... I have impact. a feeling that sometimes when you're nominating things, it's a book title. Obviously, it's, it's based on a famous piece of work. And it's one of those things that you see it in a lot of nominations. Like a perfect example is Don Cheadle got nominated for his guest role on Winter Soldier, the Marvel TV series, which he was only in for like two scenes. And I think what happens is when you're looking at that list of people, you're, oh, I love Don Cheadle, click. And and then it's and it's happening because you like it. And I feel like that may have been the all quiet on the Western Front nomination. Like, oh, I'm looking at a list of a bunch of movies. I'm clicking that off. I didn't see it, but of course that's good because, you know, if it was Red Badge of Courage, it would be <laughs> nominated as well. Well, yeah, what surprised me about it is like we just had 1917 as a nominee. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, wow, another World War One movie that's also just about how bloody and violent that war was and it's beautifully shot. Surprised okay. it wasn't shot by Mel Gibson. You know, it's like it was we so had bloody. war, war yeah. sorry. You know, like we, I don't mind in a way because I think World War One is so much more cinematic than World War Two. If you're like Amy for the rest of your life, you're either going to watch World War One movies or World War Two movies. Knowing that I don't love any war movie sure. in particular, World War One, hands down. I agree. They've got all the cool gas masks. It always seems doubly shocking and horrible and, and terrifying because like all of these weapons are being used for the first time weapons that would then become legal yeah. like poison gas and it sounds like a nightmare factory world war ii feels like oh i, I kind of get it like oh my grandpa was there like right. all right all right all right but world war one just sounds gigantic i mean even to be like the first world war well i mean i think you see elements of a movie like this in films that came before it, like Braveheart and stuff like that. these it, It's a very visceral kind of fight. You know, it's its not like Lord of the Rings and its magicalness. You know, it, it's a, just a down and dirty battle. I will say, though, looking at this list and seeing like a movie like Triangle of Sadness getting nominated is exciting. 
But I also say, well, wait, Triangle of Sadness, where's RRR? Why is an RRR on this list? Because that is a movie like Top Gun Maverick that I feel like this year transcended, like it was injected into our culture slowly but surely. Like people who never watched, uh, you know, an Indian film were watching RRR. People were filling up theaters. It just felt like it was a slow wave that just built to the shore And I know there's a little bit of politics in why it wasn't uh, India's feature film, and that's why it's not nominated for Best Foreign Film. Uh, They put up a different film. That didn't get nominated. That didn't get nominated. RRR probably would have. Right. And I feel like what makes me mad about this, and maybe I'm going out on a limb here, I think RRR is one of the most exciting films this year. Uh, It is truly just visually stunning. It is exciting. It is. It is, to me, just like Top Gun Maverick. Like, it brought so many people to the theater. It, 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 it galvanized us to why we need to see things in the theater, even though it was released on Netflix. And I think a lot of people were exposed on Netflix. Um, but the fact that it was nominated for Best Song makes me feel like we know about this movie, but we're kind of putting it on the side because the dancing is great. The, oh, we love the dancing. And it feels to me like... It doesn't treat it as seriously as it is. It's like, oh, but the, oh, but we love the song, the song. And it, I don't know how to articulate it more than just saying it feels not even like it threw it a bone, but it felt like it didn't, by just picking the song, it felt like it disrespected the whole movie because the movie is not that song. That song is amazing. That dance number is phenomenal. But that is not like, it is just an element of this larger piece that is truly this kinetic, beautiful, insane version of a film that we have seen but never seen before all like this. Do you remember a couple years ago uh, when Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper uh, did Shallows? Yes. And everybody was like, oh, man. We really probably should have given that movie more awards. Yeah. You know, like when they performed it live at the Oscars, everybody was just sort of like, oh, Stars Born was great. Right. And that song, I feel like, was like collective mourning. Like I felt sad just watching them do that song and how good it was through the television. I feel like we're going to have that same moment again when RRR comes out and does Not Do Not Do. Just like, oh, we blew it. Like, we'll How are they going to do that. this? Are, are, are the actors going to do the actual number on stage i wonder they've been coming to la a little bit to like I go mean, to q a's for the film but this number when we were talking to the director at the screening here in los angeles like it took hours and day, like you know this is not a <laughs> one take what's so impressive about it, what's so exciting about it is it's not a one take thing and in a weird way to even recreate it at the oscars is like a giant like it also puts it behind the eight ball like shallow you could you could get right. That. There's an intimacy. Yes, but this. maybe what will be valuable is the style of RRR does not look at all like how I think Americans typically picture Bollywood films to look right. like. You know, there's not swirling rainbows of sw- of saris right. in that number at mm-hmm. all. And I hope at least it'll be one of those like seed germinating moments where you see not do not do. You see what kind of movies actually are coming out and the tone and the style of RRR. Maybe if you didn't even catch it up. Yeah. And hopefully that will be that little, like, flag bearer for the future. Like, you have been thinking of this whole type of cinema as being one. And now you need to know that it's, like, a very cool strange rainbow where, like, men do precision military dance moves. And it is phenomenal. It's so good. I, and, and 
And I also feel like another movie that that hasn't gotten a lot of attention, but it's so good, is Women Talking. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. And, you know, Sarah Polly, who has really just become an amazing director. You know, you might have seen her originally like in Go, you know, back when everyone was making like these semi-pulp fiction films. But she's an amazing author. I read her book. I love this. And she's not nominated for Best Directing. She's the one that I would put in, actually, over Ruben Osland. Yes. I know we did our whole piece on, on Force Majeure last year, and I think he's really an interesting guy. This is my least favorite of his movies. I agree. I kind of felt like it was fine. and f- I don't think this is a Best Picture no. nominee. Like in a different year, even last year, I might have been like, oh, a movie with that much puking got yeah. put in the top 10. That's exciting. Yeah. But this year I'm like, you know, we've already got some movies with puking. We're fine. We don't need it. And we've I got get- movies where people are cutting off their own fingers. We've got movies where people are fighting with dildos. I don't need Triangle of Sadness this year. And I think what Sarah Polly did with Women Talking, taking a story that is as literal as its title about women in a barn talking about ideas, about what they want to stand for and how they want to get done what they want to do in this world, about is it better to like stand and fight? Is it better to take the men that you love and leave? Should you, you have to leave men behind? Like this movie is so propulsive for being a movie about a bunch of women in bonnets talking in a barn. And that is all Sarah Polly. That is she's, Sarah Polly making this movie so gripping, better than any thriller. I'm glad that she's nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, that, what she did with this book was she wrote multiple scripts for all the main characters like to change the perspective and then coalesce them into this vision. It, it, it just shows. It's a beautiful movie. It's a great movie. It's one of the biggest shames that she didn't get nominated for director because I think not only has she done great work, but this one is a, is particularly great. But when you look at the best director is on this list, there's, you know, obviously Steven Spielberg's going to get nominated, right? Like there's not there many holes, right? Like obviously the Daniels are going to get nominated. Um, but her movie is not showy. It's showy in how wonderful it is, but it's not showy in any other way. And I feel like that, may have been a ding against her, but that it's also, it, it sucks because it's like, oh, it's not showy enough to get her that nomination, although she's doing that work to a T. Yeah. I mean, part of the moral adjustment I would make to these nominees is A, that, yeah, swapping her in for Ruben Oslin. I would also probably take Carrie Condon and Banshees out of Best Supporting Actress and just throw a rock and put anybody else in the cast of Women Talking. Right. I'm down with that. Like, Carrie, not a good part. Honestly, and I don't think done very interestingly for a pretty boring part of just like, I'm your supportive sister, but boy, do I need to take care of myself. And nothing part. Absolutely nothing. I agree. I'm shocked that it's nominated. But it's also, but that's the machine that kind of happens, which is like, right. Banshees is Banshees. great. Banshees, oh, I saw it, I bothered to see it, and therefore I got to nominate the girl who was in Banshees because I can't think of another actress. And I have to say, I had high expectations for Banshees because I love In Bruges. And wow, it, like, it got me. First of all, I didn't think it was going to be a comedy. I mean, or it's a dark comedy. I mean, and like it, it's as much as a comedy as Tar is a comedy, which I think is a comedy. But when I first started watching, I was like, oh, oh, 
it's like I was talking uh, I was talking to my family this morning and I watched the first episode of Yellowstone last night. I was like, oh, that's what this show is about. <laughs> like, is that show super violent? It's crazy. It's crazy. Like what I I was like, what? I, <laughs> I like it was shocking. And that's how I felt when I started watching Banshees. I was like, oh, this is great. Like, I don't know why I thought it was going to be more dull or maybe more of a like Martin McDonough makes great movies. I, I, I'm still reeling and I know you like billboards. I didn't like billboards that much. Um, I like this a lot. I like this better than billboards. I like this less than in Bruges. I'm buying that. Yeah. yeah, I think part of my moral piece that I have found with how many nominations this film has is I'm just pretending they're all for in Bruges because it's like Martin McDonough with his leads of in Bruges. They're getting nominated for parts that are as good. I think acting wise, they're as good in this movie as they are in in Bruges. I think it's heavier. It's a heavier movie, Banshees, than in Bruges in a way. Um, Although I think it leans a little too much on animals at the end. I like, agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. There's some elements to it. I, I, and it doesn't have like the kind of beauty that sometimes in, in Bruges did cinematically. Well, I think in Bruges did a little bit more, right? Yeah. Like it's, it, again, it's a simpler movie. It's still really good. I really loved it. It deserves, I think, to be on this list. Yeah, and for I, sure. you know, and it's. Um, and to me, this is a sign because like in Bruges was only nominated for screenplay and it lost. Right. And for a movie. Almost as good, but not right. as good to be, to get like this many nominations. It makes me feel like we as a culture now understand Martin McDonough better. Yes. Like we have moved into the direction of being like, oh, I get your sense of humor and I get that you can be this violent and also this beautiful. And I think we maybe weren't there in the 90s when it was just like we wanted simpler good tales about how the Holocaust was bad. <laughs> Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Talking about simple good tales, I think that the biggest step that the Academy Awards made this year, in my opinion, is you jump from a movie about Queen, a movie about Elton John, and this year we do Elvis. We're caught in a trap. I can't walk out because I love you too much, baby. I had my sigh uh, hat on, ready to watch Elvis, and goddammit, I was blown away by this movie. I mean, Baz Luhrmann, this movie, I did not expect it to be good. I didn't think it was going to be good. I saw those pictures of Tom Hanks in that fat suit. And I was like, this is going to be trash. And it it's fun. I don't know if it's like the best. There's something about it that I kind of, I don't know if even like I watched it. I liked it. I thought about it more afterwards. But to do Elvis in a way that is like 
Psychedelic is an overused word, but I feel like there's something electric about this movie that hasn't been done in movies like this that have been being nominated. I'm like, more here, more of this weirdness. Yeah, I think what Elvis got exactly right is it made Elvis feel dangerous. Like, Elvis has never been dangerous to me. Elvis has been a clock on a wall with its hips going back and forth. Yeah. Like, watching this movie, he felt punk rock to me. Yeah. He felt like, oh, I understand why they thought his hip swivel was too much. I didn't get it. It was like, it's a hip swivel, you know? Because it's hard when you grow up post the revolution that Elvis ushered forth. And so... I loved, like, that Baz Luhrmann felt like he could, you know, put Elvis in black lace shirts and dress him like he was some sort of 80s mod rocker, punk, real dramatic guy. Right. Like he's a backing band of The Cure or something like that because it wasn't right, but it was exactly right. And like, it wasn't it took overly— it to the extreme, but it did exactly what it needed to do. And it wasn't overly melodramatic, too. And I feel like we see these stories where, I don't know, I feel like the struggle is so over-dramatized and it, like— and he did it in this Baz Luhrmann way. And I think Austin Butler, give him all the credit. I'm not saying he needs to win Best Picture, all, Best Actor. Although I think there's a strong argument that he might. I mean, there. He this might. Is, in he this might. list, I'd rather Colin Farrell get it than anybody else. You don't think it's going to be the end of the year of the Brendan <laughs> Fraser comeback? I mean, if you were going to say which is the person that you think will win and shouldn't win. Right. The one that you're going to be like, oh. To right. me, it will be if Brendan Fraser wins for the right. whale because I hated that movie. Well, yeah, and that I, movie is not very good. And I didn't think his performance in it was shepherded to have a lot of depth. Right. I mean, this you've heard me just read. Like, the second he stands up in the whale and you notice that the sweat stand on his back is in the shape of a whale tail. And then you hear, like, a whale hooting in the background. And then he's, like, ranting about Moby Dick in the first five minutes. I was like, fuck this movie. I'm out. Like, I, no. I agree. No. Yeah. And I think sometimes, though, we follow our heart. And this is what we're talking about before that you follow like these stories. Like, what do we like? And we'll get into some of those stories in a little bit. I just want to continue to talk a little bit about these best pictures. Yeah. Well, I want to talk a little bit about Elvis, too, which is, which yeah. is that the thing that I think Baz Luhrmann did so smartly in Elvis was he made me see a tragic dimension in Elvis's story that I had never even considered before, Three. which is like you know, Elvis has been the punchline of like he ate too much. He got too decadent. Right. He had too many hangers on, blah, 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 blah. But what Baz Luhrmann drew out is that Elvis as a kid was like this cultural magpie. You know, he saw things, they inspired him, he heard music that he'd never heard, he saw artists he'd never seen perform. He channeled them and he created great art from it. But then the movie lets you know he never got to see that much else about the world. He got famous so young, and then Colonel Parker not letting him travel. Colonel Parker not letting him do what the Beatles did, go to India, see the world. He never saw anything. He only left the country once. And I didn't know that. And so what this movie made me feel was Elvis as an artist was held back. And that had never occurred to me because he's a guy with like 90 million number one hits. And well, I love Elvis. But in this movie, I felt sad about the Elvis we never got to know. Well, this that is that was new. What I think was interesting about it, and maybe it it comes at the right time. This movie comes out at the same time we're dealing with Britney Spears mm-hmm. in in real in the real world and and, and her emancipation. And there are overlaps here. Like, are we holding this person too tight? You know, are, are, you know, and while this is a, that's a whole other conversation and there are multiple podcasts devoted to that. Uh, I think it does resonate a little bit as we talk about these child stars and we see different things. And it's a story that I feel like could be accepted in a way in this year. It's sort of like, again, we have looked back at 
Pamela and Tommy. We've looked back at Monica Lewinsky. We've looked back at a lot of these moments in our culture and said, oh, it was actually really messed up the way our culture took this. And I feel like in a weird way, this movie captured that trend. I don't think it was Baz Luhrmann's intent, but I do think it makes that point feel more rich and more timely than it ever has been before. I agree. And I also think there's a little bit of a magic trick in the fact that, to me, Austin Butler doesn't look anything like Elvis. And yet I felt more Elvis coming out of him than I have when any other actors played Elvis. I agree. You know that I love Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon was a bad Elvis. Yeah, I agree. But like Austin Butler, I believed him. And like I would have never thought I felt that way. The only other Elvis that I think could have given him a run for his money, Val Kilmer, he kind of does a version of it in Top Secret, but he also does it in True Romance. And there's a version of him doing Elvis that I really like that I feel like that would have been a great. I mean, he did Jim Morrison, so we got to see one of the things. But I think that he could have done that really well. Yeah, I came very close on Valentine's Day of getting my boyfriend and I tickets to go see Glenn Danzig performs Elvis. Wow. Did you know that came here? He I would like have. A whole no, Elvis I did not. Cover I would love to have seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I already did like the deepest B-sides of Elvis that you don't even know. Whoa, I would love to see that. <laughs> um, can I ask you about the Fablemans? The Fablemans, to me, obviously it's Steven Spielberg. There's this idea that, again, like Noah Bombeck, he's trying different things. Whether they're working or not, I don't care. I love that Steven Spielberg is like, I'm going to go back to my roots and do Ready Player One. Now I'm going to go do uh, a musical and do does West Side Story. Now I'm going to go actually tell you the story of my life. And I think that Steven Spielberg, as we've talked about on the show and episodes that we've done, has shown you elements of his life. But this is like this love letter to his mom. And what I'll say about it is I watched it. I was a little like snarky about it in the beginning. Then I got really into it. Then I then I kind of checked out a little bit more and then I really loved the ending. And I think of all the movies that I saw this year, this one actually stuck with me in an interesting way because I feel like, I don't know if it's a perfect movie, but it's really interesting. I think it's a beautiful love letter to his mother. I think it's a really interesting kind of different chapter for Spielberg to kind of open himself up and be like, this is, this is literally me. But then I also think in doing that, he does kind of go to some of the things that we know that he's going to do, make it very like, there are some like very um, shiny edges on it, I should say like that. Uh, but he gives himself Spielberg little boy eyes. Yes. You know, I was like, this is where my eyes came from. By the way, that kid is amazing. The kid who plays Spielberg in it is amazing. And I'm forgetting his name right now, but he is phenomenal. Gabriel LaBelle. Uh, amazing. And I love the stuff with Michelle Williams and Seth Rogen and Paul Dano and Gabriel LaBelle. I thought like that was where the movie, like I didn't need that ending as much. I didn't need the high school story. I just found the front of it to be so much more interesting and really like, I just love those characters. I love the way they interacted. It's great. It's a great movie. But I think I come back to that that point of the film. I like that point a lot, uh, that that story that he was trying to tell. I feel like it's a movie that I'm glad Spielberg made before he died. Mm-hmm. You know, because everybody gets their love letter, letter to cinema. And I think he put his off for like a nice long time. Right. They're like, okay, good. 
You know, Scorsese got his with Hugo. Inarito probably did his a little bit too early with Bardo. Right. But everybody gets to do that. And it's Spielberg. So, of course, you want to see what he has to say about it. That said, I was like, okay, Spielberg the kid is not so interesting. And I didn't think he was that interesting. And there he is. He's being himself, and I don't find him to be that compelling. I found him more compelling to be, like, interested in what he was lying about, that he had a girlfriend in high school, which he just didn't have a girlfriend in high school anyways. So that was hilarious to me. Like, I'm going to fictionalize one thing, and it's that girls liked me. (laughs) But that said, I went on a journey with the Michelle Williams performance because at the beginning I was like, oh, my God, is she going to be like this sugar dip the whole movie? Yes. And her hair is going to be so perfectly blonde and anything you want, sweetie. And when you got to see the little bit of cracks where she is broken and interesting and when she starts like showing up with monkeys. I was like, Yeah. All right. I found I found her performance getting better and better. I love Seth Rogen in this movie. I thought that he was so really great. great. Another person That's who probably should have been nominated in that best supporting role. Yeah, because, I would have put him there for Judd Hirsch, to be honest. Uh Judd Hirsch, I think I mean, Judd Hirsch, I feel like, is playing to the back of house in that one. And I'm like, Yeah. I love it. I'm all in. I don't even, I don't want to knock him out, but I'm like, I just feel like that, again, we're talking about a great, understated, wonderful, grounded, beautiful performance. I just like that dynamic. I just felt like I, I feel like they grounded each other. I got that relationship because of those performances too. I actually scrap all of that. He wouldn't deserve it necessarily, but if I could give it to any supporting actor, I would have given it to David Lynch for playing John Ford. Oh my gosh. That made the movie for me. Just that last closing scene had almost nothing to do with anything. No, I know, but it was like... stuck on. It was a post-it note on the bottom of your shoe, but it was my favorite part of the movie. I loved it because there's many ways to probably end that movie, and he did it in a really, like, there was a joy to that ending, and I feel like there is... I feel like the movie is true to what he wants the story to be, I feel like it is true. Like there's, yeah. I don't think it's true enough because I think the parts of the film where I actually cared about Spielberg was when he was willing to admit that he is now and has always been a petty little bitch. And when he is a teenager was like petty and getting his revenge on bullies. That is the Spielberg that I believe to be true. You know, that is the Spielberg that we see in the Jaws video where he's mm-hmm. expecting to get nominated and he doesn't get nominated for Best Picture. Right. That's the Spielberg I like. And like Elder Sacker and Statesman Spielberg, I don't quite buy. I believe he's a good guy. Sure. sure. But like I want him to tell me what I don't know. You know, I want him to tell me what I suspect is true. And I felt like he he kept trying. I feel like he's always tried to hide his inner thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, because we all have our inner monologue. Yeah. And I feel like his inner monologue, when it's super petty, if he would have just trusted us with even more of that, then I would have actually felt like this film was being real with me. But I feel like it wasn't. And look, I have no bone to pick with Tony Kushner, but I feel like Tony Kushner is also that person that's going to make that safer choice in a way. But it's tricky because it's like, it's hard. You're right. You're making your own movie about yourself. And and maybe it was too much. But we've also got to see these elements like in E.T. where you see like, through his eyes, what it was like to be with this mother who was being pushed and pulled. Like it's not the same story, but it is in a way. Like, yeah. I, and, I, and I almost feel like he might have done better not making it about himself, so he could almost have one step removed, even though it could be like, yeah, because like the the character of the mom in ET is actually much better written and more complicated, right? Than the character of the, his own mom here, yes. right? And I also feel like Melissa Matheson, who wrote ET is dating Spielberg, you know, with him and uh, and is seeing elements and, and maybe like Tony Kushner is going to look at Spielberg in a certain way. Like th- th- I think it may take us a, a, 
a certain nutcracker to crack that nut. You know, I don't know. You know, there's, but I, but there was something about it where I didn't know what to expect, and I really loved it. And but I went through multiple moments throughout. But I do think that again, like the same way we talked about white noise, like good on you, like more, more of yeah. this, like all right, great, like this is an interesting. What's next? I'm curious. Well, I feel like this movie had to be made by him, and I right. feel like it had to be nominated if he was going to make right, it. Sure. But I also feel like if it goes one step further and actually wins awards, I will turn on this film. Well, And by the way, I say that full apologies, Michelle Williams. She's been nominated five times, has never won. I don't want her to win this year either. Wow. She'll get nominated again. All right. Well, let's talk about the kind of debate in this actress category because we're going to talk about our final two nominees here. And I think this is a great place to start to talk about them. Tar. And everything, everywhere, all at once. Tar is not getting all the accolades of everything, everywhere, all at once, but it is coming down to this best actress category. Are you on the side of Kate Blanchett or are you on the side of Michelle Yeoh? The tide is definitely with everything, everywhere, all at once. This is one where it's like, ooh, I don't know which way it's going to go. I don't know which way the Academy will go for this one. No, it's true. Like in December, I felt like all the momentum was with Tar because Tar picked up all the all of the awards pretty much from all the critics yeah. groups. I was voting yo in those, but I was also having Blanche as my second. She's fantastic right. in this movie. Amazing. It's a really great performance. It's a really great role. She's great. She's been nominated eight times. She's won twice. She won for Aviator. She won for Blue Jasmine. This Michelle Yeoh piece, this is a role for her, written for her. Nobody else could do this role the way she does. She gives it everything. People have not handed her roles like this her whole career. She has to win this one to me. Like, she has to. This is hers. Because I don't know when she's going to get given something like this again. She knocked it out of the absolute park. I 100% agree. And before we get too much into Michelle Yeoh, because I have a lot to say about how much I like her, I will say that Kate Blanchett does something really interesting. It's a real person. It is a, you know, who is alive. What? It, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... But it, but it is there. There is this element of cancel culture that I think that this movie attacks, and I feel like that's also an element of why this movie it does it in a really interesting way. I think because it makes you a little bit conflicted: is she good? Is she bad? You see both sides of it. You see it in like yes, she does some unequivocally bad things, but she also who says that every artist has to be a great person? And this is we're going back to the Spielberg argument, like. So I think that that has become an interesting nugget to dissect in Tar. Like, it takes on cancel culture in the most elevated, smart way that I've seen anyone attack it. So I think, you know, Todd Field makes this movie that I feel like is saying a lot of stuff that people can't articulate really well. And I think that Kate Blanchett plays it in a way where you're like, ooh, I don't know how I feel about this person and because she is the lead character and you're watching so much go on and, and you're laughing at it and you're also like... So it's a very, I think, her performance of that character deserves to be nominated for Best Actress because it is like this tightrope. She could have played it too arch. She could have played it too likable. She finds this line. And I think that that's a, a perfect synergy there. You're right. She allows you to dislike her. Yes. Well, you know, And I went on the whole journey with her because not knowing where the story was going when I sat down to watch yeah, it. me neither. I was like, she's awesome. She's tough. Yeah. She's not that likable. I kind of dig it. I, in the movie, I'm like watching it and thinking, I should really buy more suits. God, she looks so yeah. good in suits. And like admiring how much that character took up space in the film and like wasn't shy about expressing her opinions. And to watch 
yourself kind of get led down this path of seeing somebody as like a real badass, like, yes, queen, yes, yeah, conductor yeah. role model in her going over and over and over and over and over the line. And sometimes I thought the movie went too far, like when she was like running underground, like calling out the name of like her girlfriend trying to find her like in the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit too much. But like where I really admired the choices in that is that like everybody comes off dirty. Like even if you watch her in the scene where she's like hectoring the student about what she considers to be his like simplistic opinions about like who Mm -hmm. should get played and who should get canceled. That later on the students in that classroom release a video of it that we know is heavily edited. That there's like a little bit of dirt on their side too that they're not showing the full thing and that they're not playing it fair. All of it was so complicated. And I felt like there is no way to exist in the modern world without having dirt under your fingernails. And we all pretend that we don't have dirt under fingernails. And you you could not watch this movie as an active audience member and not also be implicated. Right. And I think what, what happens a lot when you're not committing a crime mm-hmm. and are canceled or canceled for a way that you think or are, are or is now uh, is that you are. It's a it is a fine line. It's it's a perspective. It's an opinion. You can dislike a person. They don't have to be great, but are you using that same lens with the people that you really like? Are you giving them a pass? So I think it it's an it's a very complicated movie on a complicated subject that I think doesn't make it simple. And I feel like a lot of arguments about cancel culture are incredibly simplistic. And I think it makes people up, not upset, but it, it 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 gets people too riled up. It's like, no, this is a you got to go deep. You got to like, you have to make your own opinion about this. So you have to like, and, yeah. and it, when a crime isn't committed or like, you have to like, what do I think? What do I really think? And, and is it okay? Is it okay to, to still like this person or to feel like this person is worthy of something, you know, even though you don't agree with them, it, it, it's an interesting debate. Yeah. Cause I don't love living in this era as much as I love the value of why we're doing this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like I just read this really fantastic book. It was about, um, Les Moonves and Sumner Redstone and the Mm -hmm. collapse of, like, Viacom and all the lawsuits and everything that was happening, like, during the Me Too movement. Fantastic book. You know, and, like, really brought me back to the vitality of why that movement had to happen and why it was so necessary. And I'm so glad and so grateful. And I still think there's a lot more work to do. But I also think that we will not figure out what comes next until we're willing to talk about how complicated it all is. And I think... I think we still we're still talking about things in too simplistic of terms. Well, there's a black and white to it where yeah. it's like I'm right and you're wrong or that person's right and that mm-hmm. person's wrong. And I think that, that is always going to be a recipe for disaster because there is no right or wrong. It's like what do I personally believe and how do I then move my life? But I can't like make your decision for you and I can't like again, when there's no crime, it's it's a much more there's questions that you can have and people will have different opinions than you. And I think that there's sometimes this idea that we all have to agree on something as a society. And I don't know if that's always entirely the best way forward. Exactly. But and I, I think will, a movie like this where you sort of love and hate Lydia Tarr, it makes you imagine under what circumstances would I allow her back in? Yeah. Like where is a path forward for Lydia Tarr? Where is cultural forgiveness for Lydia Tarr? And that's where I want the conversation to go for all of us. Right. Beyond Lydia Tarr. Yeah. And and I would say this, uh, when we're talking about like somebody who gets a lot of acceptance and and love, then we have to go to the Michelle Yeoh performance in the movie that everyone has accepted and everyone is loved. And this is really truly like the little engine that could, because we're talking about Tom Cruise bringing back movies, but everything everywhere all at once 
This is a shocker because this is a probably a movie that would get nominated for an Academy Award, or definitely an Independent Spirit Award. But this is a blockbuster and it's this weird indie. I feel like so many people have seen it. It's so different. And this is probably the crown jewel in in the Oscar Best Picture uh, selection this year. Like, this is the oddest movie that we've seen. I think we talked about a lot of odd movies here and different movies and weird movies and not what we saw last year. But this one really is the height of A24 letting uh, directors make a movie that no one else has made. Do you remember when we did this episode last year? Like last year's end of the year roundup as Oscar pictures. And I said, I have seen the film already that I know will be my favorite film of this year. Yeah. It was everything everywhere all at once. Like I saw a cut of this in December 2021. I was so anticipating this movie coming out and other people watching it. And I never thought it would get this big. And that has been like the beautiful surprise of this year is this film getting received. Last year when we did this episode, if you were like, well, whatever your favorite movie is, what's your prediction for it? And I'd be like, um, maybe at best it'll get an original screenplay nom and it'll lose. And it'll go down in that like moral victory right. where I felt like it should have won just like in Bruges before it. But oh, no. And that I find so exciting that this movie is like getting received rapturously. Well, there's something interesting about it because it comes out at a time when there aren't that many movies in the theater. Right. Like, so it does have some room to breathe. It's not coming out against Marvel movies. It's not coming out in a crowded marketplace. So the word of mouth, especially when movies were first starting to come back out, was like, oh, have you seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Like there there was more like trust. Like, I just want to go out and see a movie. And I feel like that helped this movie in a way. Like Tom Cruise, like I said earlier, carried us to back to the theaters. And this may have been the second movie. This may have been the movie that everyone like then also told their friends about because it really did grow. It grew so quickly. It's crazy. And when you look at their work before, which is, you know, Swiss Army Man, which is a very weird, fun movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the Death of Dick Long. Very, that's a weird. I like that movie. Yeah. Um, I do, like, But yeah. it's it's different. And then they directed, I talked about this on the show, they directed uh, episodes of my show, NTSF SDSUV. And they were directors who came in with such a vision. And it was fun looking back at those episodes this year because you see little elements that they did, that they fought for. Like we had this moment, I put it up my TikTok, but this, um, my character is like uh, trapped in a mall, like a diehard in a mall. And I whisper to a gumball, like my secret plan. And then I roll the gumball and then the gumball goes out and like kills seven people. And, and I think that we had written an idea like that. But then how they brought that to life was unlike anything that we were prepared for. And they did so many things in those episodes that you saw. I mean, you've seen it across the board already. Like, they're so self-assured about what they want to do and stylistically how they want to be. And to a point that when they came onto our show, I'll be honest, it was a little jarring because like, I never had worked with a director who was like, directors who were like, it's your show, but we're now taking over. Like, and let us take over. And they did Children's Hospital as well, and they, they look great. So I feel like these are directors who I'm so happy that their weirdest thing is their most successful thing, and on both levels, award-wise and critically. I mean, it's just, it's unlike anything you've ever seen. It really is. And, like, I was talking to Daniel Kwan at the Oscar luncheon, and he was like, the thing is, we haven't changed. 
Like, we're still interested yeah. in the same stuff. We're still making the same stuff. Like, our artistic vision is what it's always been. But the world has changed, and the world has gotten weirder, and that makes the world more accepting of us. And I love that because, to me, that's the part that makes this so hopeful is not only the fact that, like, I feel like teenagers are also watching this movie and being like, you can do that. You right. can do that in a movie. Oh, my God. I want to see movies. I want to make movies. Teenagers are can love Top Gun Maverick, but unless you get like $2 billion in planes from the Navy that they let you use, you don't get to make a Top Gun Maverick, no, yeah. you know? But you can do some of the practical stuff in here. Like, this is actionable. That's exciting. And I feel like what's really cool about it is if this wins, I do think the Oscars are now officially cool again. You know, like, this feels like a win that to me would be almost as seismic as, like, Midnight Cowboy winning in 1970, you know, an ex-film winning the Oscars. Because not only does it feel like a younger generation made this movie and it's getting awarded, which you could kind of say happened to Chloe Zhao when she did Nomadland, mm -hmm. but that movie Different. is a more staid, Oscar-y mm -hmm. kind of movie starring an Oscar-y kind yeah. of person. And it's a drama. You know, I, I think to me, like, the most punk rock thing about, like, Nomadland winning was just that Chloe Zhao showed up to the Oscars not wearing makeup. And I was like, oh, my God, that's right. amazing. You can do that. She did that. She was like, I don't have to participate in the glamour part of this. I'm a director. You know, right. I don't have to be a beauty queen. That, to me, absolute balls out courage. And I will love her forever for that. But this movie doesn't feel like an Oscar movie. It doesn't feel like how the Oscars would have said that they are. You know, it's a comedy. Like, you have been screaming yeah. about representing comedies. Yeah. Actual laugh-out-loud comedies with dildo fights. Yeah. That is in here. Actual it, action. Actual fighting, hardcore, cool, clever, crisp action with butt plugs. That is in this movie. And there's another world in which, like, a different year would have been Fableman's winning everything or Elvis winning everything and not this, but we're far, we're far enough in to the award season. We are recording this after the PGA Awards, after, after the SAG, SAG. Award. Yeah. It this movie is not stopping. And and it is beloved. Like I'd had to do a QA for this movie at the DGA, and it was a mixed guild screening. This movie ended packed house at the DGA, not a single empty seat, instant standing ovation. And they loved it. And you can feel that in every room this movie is played in. I will say that the only movie that is similar in my experience is RRR. RRR. Yeah. Yeah. And and there is something really cool to be said about, and that's why I miss RRR on this list. Like there are things I miss on this list, uh, absolutely. Like I miss Nope on this list. I think that Nope is maybe one of Jordan Peele's best movies. It's my favorite by far. Yeah. But I also think it's a fuck you Hollywood movie because the story about it is how I mean, no spoiler alert, but it's like how Hollywood literally eats you up and spits you out, and and I I think that that's the undercurrent, and it feels like. It was clever enough not to be that, but I feel like people were like, mm, I don't like what it's saying about us. Like, oh, and you know what else didn't get nominated, but I wish should have? Yeah. It tells that same story, Babylon. <laughs> and I cannot believe that here I am in the year of our Lord 2023 being like, Damien Chazelle made a movie about the people who do and don't make it in Hollywood. And I will defend it to the teeth. But that is where I am. I hated La La Land. I loved Babylon. I, I call Babylon the Vegas buffet of movies. And I mean that in a great way because I love a Vegas buffet. It's got everything. It's got it, – and, and I feel like you can have, uh, you know, a brownie and lobster simultaneously. And I feel like that's what that movie is. I'm all for it. It's crazy. It's bizarre. It has four of the best scenes of any movie this year. 
So if one giant movie contains four of the best scenes, I'll name them. Party scene. Yeah. That's wild. The opening party scene is sure. so insane, so decadent, mm-hmm. so crazy. The scene where Margot Robbie acts for the first time and you watch her summon those tears, go crazy. You watch a person become a movie star on a camera. That's an incredible scene. The scene in Babylon where they're learning sound equipment for the first time and they have to keep doing all the restarts. Yep. Absolute standout, gas busting, curled up into my chair, laughing hysterically at that scene. Incredible. And then the like Toby Maguire yep. underground tunnel this, Magnolia ripoff fight. Yeah. Amazing scene. You put those four scenes in this movie and it's not represented anywhere in the Oscars, but like costuming, which it deserves, you know, where it's only in the technicals. What are you doing? That was incredible. I yeah, I think it again is too too ugly. Like you know, like in a, in a weird way, it's, it's like fuck you Hollywood. Yeah, it's you fuck you Hollywood. People out. Yeah. yeah. Now I will say, you know, a movie that's not fuck you Hollywood, but that is, I feel like she gotten a little bit more love, and this is maybe the problem of the streaming world, is Hustle, because mm-hmm. Hustle is a movie that is great. It's it is rocky. It's it, it has all those kind of it's it's very basic, right? And I and and I think when I'm looking at this list. And nothing's too basic here, but I also feel like there should be a little bit of a an award for like, oh, you did this well, and and maybe not best picture, but let's put best actor in there. I think that that was one of the, like I know Adam Sandler was fantastic in Uncut Gems, but this performance is great. I just love Hustle. I love, I love that movie. I feel like it really, it sucks because I think if you saw it in the theater, you'd be cheering at the end. I think oh, it has yeah. that energy. It, like it, it feels like it wants to get you there, or it feels like people are like, "Oh, I don't," or they missed it. Like Hustle just feels like a, a movie that people missed. I don't know I why. I feel like people... I'm always talking about Hustle to people, and they look yeah. at me blankly. You know where I would have put Hustle? Where I don't know if I would have put Sandler an actor because I feel like he had his really good run with Uncut Gems, right? And if he didn't make it for that, I'm like, all right, all right, all right. But I would have put the director of Hustle, Jeremiah Zagar. Yeah, I would have put him in director over over Ruben Oslin too because he took all of those NBA players. We know how they act because we see them in commercials. We see yeah. how how they are when other people direct them. He made them actual actors. He, he made me think Anthony stuff. Edwards was a actor first and not a not the Anthony one Edwards pick. was great in that movie. Amazing, really great in that movie. Amazing. All the all these athletes. He treated them like actors and they responded like actors. I've never seen this many basketball performances. Just nail it and so if he can do that with these guys he must be one of the best directors who's ever walked the face of the earth i i really agree with that like it didn't feel sweaty i want to talk about one other performance that i really loved that i feel like should have gotten some recognition and that's mia goth in pearl she's amazing she's amazing and that's that to me you know to leslie got into some issues like did they game the system you know to get andrea reesborough in this um in this role yeah. of like best actors. And I'm not I'm not here to like shit on anyone's performance. No. And I feel bad actually about that because like I think Andrea Riseborough has been doing Oscar worthy work every year for years right. and nobody's ever paid attention. She paid her own entrance fee this year to be wow. submitted for the Oscars. She she really hustled for that. And I've seen too Leslie. I finally like caught yeah. up with it. I like rented it. It's not a great movie. Like the the script is so bad. The script is terrible. But she's phenomenal in it. But she's as good as she always is. Right. It just it feels more like an Oscar movie than the stuff she usually does because it's alcoholism and redemption right. and struggle and blah blah blah. And it's phony as hell in the last third. But she's never phony. And so I get her being like, maybe this is the one that the Academy will recognize. And I feel bad that she's getting dumped on because she doesn't deserve that overall. 
Like she would be the underdog in any other year. Yeah. And I, I want her to win an Oscar someday. I really do. I do too. And I just feel like you can't look at that like monologue scene in Pearl and not be like, this person deserved it. Because that's a movie that yeah. people talked about. It's a sequel. There's a lot of interesting things going on there. And that, it just felt to me like, ah, that was a miss. We had a comedy best picture, but not, again, horror is always a little bit underrepresented. And I know we've had Get Out, but I just feel like that was one that bummed me out a little bit only because it was like, oh, it felt like that could have had the, that could have had the jump in, you know, yeah. could have had the jump in. I would have nominated Mia Goth for something pretty much every year that she's been in a movie. I mean, she's anyways. great. She's really She's good. phenomenal. I really adore her. Maybe she'll get it for Maxine. Who um, knows? Let's talk really quickly, and because we won't go through every category, but I want to just get your thought on best animated film. There, this is these are the movies: Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, The Sea Beast, and Turning Red. Um, interesting movies, really interesting movies. Um, I think between those first three, Pinocchio, Marcel the Shell, and Puss in Boots. They represent three very distinct styles of cinema. And I think what I'll say about this is every one of them great. Like every one of them doing what those styles do. I think that there was a thought that Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was going to really take over. That was a movie that just kind of, it's good. I liked it. I love it. It was my favorite Guillermo del Toro movie, but I think it was fine. I mean, and uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say, and I love Marcel, like, Dean Fleischer-Camp is an amazing director. I think what he did with Marcel the Shell is great. I love it. It's cute. It's perfect. I think where I was impressed, and I know this is crazy to say, but is Puss in Boots is a th- third or a second. It's a <laughs> Shrek spinoff. It shouldn't be as good as it is. And what it talks about and about the world in which we live in and, yeah. and what the setup for people who haven't seen it yet is that Puss learns he's on his ninth life. Yeah. And can he go forth in such foolhardy courage as he always has? And like, what are the consequences to his actions? And it's, there's something really wonderful about the story there. And I feel like in a time where movies like this, and I know because I've seen every one of them get kind of shit out, especially the third one, no one's thinking, Puss in Boots is going to bring home, uh, you know, like do this. And um, I think there's an element to me like, yes, Guillermo del Toro is a genius. Everything he touches is going to be interesting. Dean Fleischer Camp, I've been following him since I've known him. You know, he's amazing, incredibly funny. That movie, I loved it. But I'm impressed with a movie that got through the studio system and came out like, I don't know, like for a third movie? To get in. Well, yeah. And what I think is special about Puss in Boots is it stretches its animation style. Yes. It doesn't feel like it has to be beholden to the previous bo- bo- like Puss in Boots movies. It's more a Spider-Verse-y well, at I, times. I started to feel like we have to give it up to Lord Miller and, and Rodney Rothman and all the people who were behind Spider-Verse like, because that and Mitchell's versus the Machines have really ripped open they really have animation they really have because i felt like the early puss in boots were more beholden to the idea of like can we make it more photo real yeah. can we give him individual fur blah 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 here they're just expressive and it's marvelous and i think that antonio banderas is one of the best voice actors that we have his puss in boots so is hilarious he's so funny um the bit when Puss in Boots like winds up at a retirement home. Sort I love of. it. 
absolutely hysterical. Of course you like this movie. It's all about I cats. I just realized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I watched this movie with my cat. He was into it. I didn't love Marcel the Shell, but that's because I'm a bad person and that kind of tone just doesn't work on me in the slightest. I also want to stick up a bit for the Sea Beast, which I thought I was going to oh, hate. The Sea Beast is sea great. The Sea Beast is actually quite solid. Yes, Very I agree. Solid. A Netflix movie that if you've not, again, a movie that I don't think got that much play, but is a great movie. It is a great movie. And it gets better and better the more it goes on, which I think is rare. I thought yeah. turning red got worse and worse the more it went on. I, agree. I don't know why Pixar always has to turn its female characters into monsters, but they do. Uh, and then, I mean, we don't even want to talk about luck, but luck was a real. I mean, that's yeah. not on this list, but yikes. I'm so glad to find another fellow Puss in Boots person. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I mean, I just want to root for, and this goes back to the Tom Cruise of it all. I want to root for somebody working in very specific parameters of the studio system, not being able to, like, you still have to, like, that's a DreamWorks movie. It's got to come out. It's got to hit their marks. And to do it and do it with such... That feels fresh and new. I'm very impressed by that. I always feel like that's, you know, I expect the Daniels to do it. And not to say this is like on the level of that, but it's like, it's just more impressive to me to see somebody like, like, oh, I can do this in here. Even Mitchell's versus Machines is outside of a, like DreamWorks, I think is known for not doing anything really interesting, but just like kind of pumping out similar stuff, you know? And it's like, oh yeah, and some you like and some you don't. I just yeah. think that they did. I, they, they, I was impressed with this. And you know what? And they still let you have the scene that you want in a Puss in Boots movie where he turns on kitten eyes. Yes. Oh. And yeah. so they did not give up on what also is the core of that film. <laughs> and Selma Hayek, also uh, a great cat boy. Great. I mean, there's so much to talk about, but I feel like we covered a lot of ground. And I want to maybe come to you and ask you, should we, because we have this different opinion about stuff. You vote with your heart when you talk about the Academy Awards. I vote with my my brain. Not saying... That, uh, that, that, like, um, and then and that no, sounds I, more harsh. It's like, I'm looking at it very analytically. I'm going, well, what are the betting odds on what's going to win? So when I make my ballot, I look at that and I go, I don't want this to win, but I think it might. And I cannot do that. And so that means that every year you destroy me at the Oscar ballot. But I want to throw it out to everybody here that let's challenge each other. Let's make our Oscar ballots. We'll put them up in social media. Uh, you can follow us on Unspooled on Instagram or on Twitter or on Discord at discord.gg slash Paul Shear, where they have the whole insta- uh, the whole Unspooled section. We will post up our picks before the Academy Awards. And whoever gets the most wins, um, or maybe we should, I mean, if you feel like that's unfair because I have an advantage there, I would say we could also pick we can make it a different metric, but we'll put up our ballots up there so people can see. But let's like, what metric do you think would be good for us to bet something on? Because I think what we should do is whatever we bet on, if I win, I get to pick a movie. I know you've talked about Pennies from Heaven. Maybe it's time to do it. I've talked about Beverly Hills Cop. Maybe it's the time to do it. Like we could, we can basically use our trump card in whoever wins this battle. Um, That's more peaceful than I thought because I thought if I somehow magically won, I would make you wear a Lakers jersey to the last Lakers Clipper game. Oh, wow. That would be rough. <laughs> that would be rough. I would not want... Uh, yeah, wow, wow. Oof. Can't do that. Can't do that, Amy. Uh, I thought maybe I would make your dog wear a Lakers jersey. I could take that. I could take okay. Meatball wearing a Lakers I would hate it. I would hate it, though. Um, all right. So what do we want to... Uh, we'll put up our ballots. We'll, we'll see who wins on that. But is there anything... Pick a moment that you think is going to be a surprise. Any upset. Well, let's both pick an upset that you think might happen. I'll go first. I believe there's a a very strong sense that everything, everywhere, all at once, the Oscars will make a left. 
And I, and I don't want to believe that all quiet on the Western front will like sneak in there, but there's a part of me that feels like maybe, or then I go, Oh, but maybe Top Gun Maverick. Maybe it's like one, like there's a moment where I go, I definitely believe the Daniels are winning best directors. I do believe that. But what Steven Spielberg said to Tom Cruise, there's a part of me that feels like it could win best picture. It could. I, 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 if I'm going to right now, and I'm not thinking logically, I'm going more with my heart. This could be the year where the, like, cause it's voted by on by everybody. Best picture is everybody, right? It's not just the departments. It's, it's, it's everyone. There's a part of me that feels like the reason why we all have jobs, the reason why we are going back to the theater is because of Top Gun. And this may be the year that Top Gun Maverick does the upset move. If this is our bet, can we go back to the Lakers jersey thing? Oh boy, yeah, because you know you you know I'm wrong. <laughs> you know I'm wrong. Uh, no, and I and I don't even fully believe it. I think my my big upset, like the one that I'm more b- willing to believe, is that Austin Butler will win for Elvis. Oh really? Yeah, I really do think so. I think that there's a, a a very strong chance that he'll win for Elvis. He did seem like the most popular ingenue at the ball. Yeah, at the, at the nominee luncheon. Do you feel like? Do you feel like? I mean, and again, I'm so I will put more on the Austin Butler as the upset, and I'll I'll, I'll pick two upsets. I'm going to pick that one, and uh, and Top Gun sneaking in and winning Best Picture. Um, I don't think that Top Gun has really been campaigning for it, but I'm just. <sighs> It's not. It's not. I know it's not. I, I'm already talking myself out of it. You but already talk yourself out. I know, but How I'm like, this? How about yeah. this? I'm gonna float one. When Lady Gaga comes out to sing the song from Top Gun, will she be wearing an outfit that at all is flight jacket inspired? No, but I wouldn't put it past her that people will be flying around her like people dressed as jets. okay how about this who do you think is going to win best supporting actress because i feel like that's pretty wide open um well look uh i think angela bassett in wakanda forever is phenomenal uh but i think that's jamie lee curtis's year hands down really yeah is that is that she did take sag actually and i was surprised by that because she hasn't won anything else no no i i feel like that maybe okay so maybe again i'm not like i haven't gotten into my my zone where i start to look at everything across the board i think jamie lee curtis takes that one do you who do you think angela bassett my heart kind of wants it to be stephanie sue so that's she's great yeah. okay wow yeah but okay we do need a bet we need a proper we need a proper, we need bet. A proper bet um we're pulling our uh, it this is where it always becomes uh okay uh the host is jimmy kimmel uh we're not going to get a slap they have coordinators backstage to make sure uh, that, you know, they can deal with trauma in the moment, which is so funny. It's like, what are we doing? What, what are we How doing about this? Here? Do you think Andrea Riseborough will show up to the Oscars? She didn't show up to the Oscar nominee luncheon. Yes, she'll be there. You got to be there. You think she'll be there? I think she'll be there. Okay, then I'll say she won't be there. Okay, great. That's a good bet. Okay. Done. <laughs> All right, Amy. All right. What are we betting? We're betting. Oh, uh, uh, who gets to pick a movie? Who gets to pick a movie? All right. And then we will let you, know, we can we can simmer on that and let it really think uh, sink in. But I think this has been a great way to look at all these movies. Yeah. How about this? That's our bet. That is our bet. Yeah. But secondary bet on who gets the most right. Yeah. On the day that the Lakers play the Clippers, mm-hmm. we have to wear the other person's shirt everywhere but the game. So, like, if you go to the game, I won't punish you. I won't make you wear, like, a Lakers jersey to okay. the game. Okay. But you have to wear something Lakers okay. all day before the game, and you have to switch in your car as soon as you leave. 
Okay, I'll do that. I can do okay. that. I mean, by the way, that's like don't throw me down the briar patch because in L.A. wearing a Lakers jersey is easy. <laughs> uh, that's a lovely. I mean, I, I would feel uncomfortable, but I, I, I'd be ru- I'd be cheered in the street. Uh, Maybe I should so, make you wear it underneath your clippers when you go to the thing. I, and that way, like if they if they, look, if there's the a Lakers lot of Laker fans. You could be like a Fairweather fan and take off your Clipper jersey. Oh no, I'm not. Cool. I can't. You can't make me do that. <laughs> can't make me do that. I sit too close. This has been fantastic to talk to you about. I love all of this. A really interesting year, and we didn't even get to talk about like performances that I like, like Kiki Palmer and Nope, or uh, or Emily the Criminal, which I thought was a great movie, and I thought that Aubrey Plaza was fantastic in that. I would have loved to see Kiki Palmer up here. I would have absolutely taken uh, Michelle Williams up for Kiki Palmer. I love it, and I also want to just like just even look over at these movies that like were a little bit odd, like Emancipation. Clearly, like trying to get like back into the mix, Emancipation didn't do that much. The Will Smith movie. It's interesting to see some bigger misses in this as well. But I. Uh, I think that we really talked about a ton of films. I'm excited to do this bet with you. I'm already nervous about wearing a Lakers jersey. But Amy, we will reconvene after the Oscars. We'll fill out our ballots. You can follow us online, wherever you uh, follow us on social media. And that will be that. All right. And so, Amy, we will table our Oscar discussion. And uh, next week, we are going to look back like we've been doing recently um, as a trilogy comes to an end or continues. We go back to where it started. Creed 3 is coming out in theaters. And we... We'll go back to Creed 1, the singular Creed, uh, and look at that movie and see how it changed the Rocky franchise. We talked about Hustle a little bit earlier here today. Um, Does it still hold up? I remember really loving Creed 1, and I haven't watched it in a couple of years. So I am excited to talk about Creed 1 with you and take a listen to the trailer. fighting my whole life. It's not a choice for me. Every punch I ever thrown has been on my own. Nobody showed me how to do this. I'm ready. All right, Creed One is available wherever you get your films streaming, honestly. Just figure it out. Google it. Well, Amy, until next week, but a big thank you to our producer, Josh Richmond, our associate producer, Jessica Cisneros, our engineer, Casey Holford, our EPs, Cody Fisher and Colin Anderson, our MVP, Molly Reynolds, our theme song by Michael Cassidy, our fan art by Kim Troxall. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, rate, review, and follow us on Apple and also on Amazon. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and you can talk about all these movies on the Paul Shear Discord. Just go to discord.gg slash Paul Shear. Unspooled t-shirts are available at tpublic.com slash unspooled, but you can also get your very own deck of unspooled playing cards, which are absolutely gorgeous, all designed by Kim Troxell at podswag.com. Just find the unspooled show and you'll see it right there. You can hear past episodes of the show and bonuses like screen tests on Stitcher Premium. And for the official API, that's the Paul and Amy Institute list of our favorite films that we've ever done from the show, you can head on over to unspooledpod.com.
go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.